0: Sup, you beautiful bastards. Welcome back to the Philip DeFranco Show. Buckle up, make sure you hit that like button to let me know you like these big shows and let's just jump into it. Logan Paul fighting Andrew Tate. It's a, it's a weird topic. It's been a rumored thing, heavily talked about. It's something that Logan has kind of flip-flopped on. At one point Logan's saying. When
1: I'm shopping the idea around to my advisors, they're concerned that he he won't be as poppin' as he is right now, or as relevant in, you know, December or January.
0: Then, on an August 30th episode of his podcast, he said, I don't feel like platforming this guy. I don't feel
1: like giving him the blessing of being my dance partner in the ring. Especially after the social media platforms have made it very clear how they feel about this guy, right?
0: At that time, also speaking about other creators, including one of his partners, KSI.
1: You want to re-platform this guy? Anyone? You want to have him on your shows? You want to you want to give him another opportunity to speak and, and, and spread his agenda?
0: But now it appears Logan Paul has flip-flopped. With places like Dick Zerto noting, on an October 31st episode of Sean O'Malley's podcast, Logan Paul said, Why don't we do something that both of us have never done? Clean record. O and O.
1: Let us step into the f- octagon, brother. An MMA fight.
0: Me versus Tate in the UFC. With the outlet then noting that a Twitter account that is believed to be run by Andrew Tate voiced his thoughts on the subject, criticizing Logan, praising his brother Jake Paul, but saying, if the terms are fair to both parties, I will fight Logan in the cage and destroy him. I've already contacted and confirmed this with a mutual contact. It's time for Logan to pay the price. I will not allow him to earn more money than me for his destruction as a clown like him with a mediocre online income would happily sacrifice his pride for money. I promised I would fight him for free and I meant it. With Logan Paul responding, this is fantastic. I honestly didn't think you'd take my offer. Literally just got off the phone with our mutual contact and i'm down for your drug test and any other fair terms you want this is going to happen but ultimately that is where we are and i just i have so many questions one does this actually happen two what are your thoughts if it does happen what are you also what are your thoughts regarding logan paul changing his tune and i especially want to know your answer to that if you're someone that that hates andrew tate or you love him or you were for or against the deplatforming. also will they make money from this if so how much like is it is it true they'll do it for free i don't know like so many things these days it is a weird weird mess but that's why i'd love to know your thoughts on it And then psilocybin keeps looking better and better as a treatment for depression, with researchers from the UK having just published their new findings and saying that when used alongside psychotherapy, psilocybin drastically improved patients' depression symptoms. As far as the specifics, they gave participants 25 milligrams of synthetic psilocybin, putting them into a dreamlike state for six to eight hours, where they were just on a a mild trip. And then while in a calm room, they got their psychotherapy. And in the end, one in three were no longer considered depressed after just three weeks. And one in five saw significant improvement at 12 weeks. Dr. James Rucker, who authored the study, said saying that this works because the drug, quote, has a direct action on the brain, putting it into a more flexible state and providing a window of opportunity for therapy. Or I guess to put it in layman terms, it opens your bitch ass up. And what's especially great about this is that it often works on depression that has otherwise been resistant to treatment. However, a key thing is that this isn't the end-all be-all on the subject, right? There are safety concerns beyond just having a bad trip, things like long-term headaches, nausea, extreme fatigue, and suicidal thoughts. But those side effects haven't deterred the researchers, and if anything, they help reinforce the call for longer and larger studies to be done. Or because everything in life, especially when you're talking about treatments or medications, there is a give and take. And actually on that note, we should expect more information soon. This is because the largest ever trial of the drug is set to start in late December. With that reportedly focused on how large the doses need to be to keep depression from coming back. And a huge key thing here is that this is the first time any psilocybin trial has reached phase three, which is the last step before being sent to the FDA for approval. Also, if you are someone that suffers from depression and specifically uh, treatment resistant depression, while I am not calling for you to do anything, uh, I would recommend you check out the, the studies around Psilocybin as well as ketamine because there are places where you can legally do it under medical supervision. There's also like therapy involved in some of them, but I also want to stop at recommending you actually do. Anything because I, I feel like that's that's a such a fucking personal choice. And I don't know. I saw this ad on TikTok, I wanna say several months ago that put a bad taste in my mouth. There was it was actually advertising ketamine, and its slogan, I shit you not, was go from a saddie to a baddie. And I was like, How is that fucking responsible advertising in any way? But anyway, the war on the sads continues. And then and Bo Burnham is absolutely right. And that's not a new take for me. I've been a fan of Bo Burnham since before he got weirded out by Katy Perry at YouTube Live. But once again, in the past 24 hours, more and more people have been like, yeah. No, what Bo said is right. And that's because there's this old clip that's as relevant as ever of Bo Burnham talking about social media and these companies.
2: It has to get more of you. That could be the ceiling for a place like this. YouTube, the ceiling could be three hours of engagement. No matter how nice it's trying to be, it is all that they're trying to get more engagement from you. We, the, we used to colonize land. That was the thing you could expand into. And that's where money was to be made. We colonized the entire earth. There was no other place for the businesses and capitalism to expand into and then they realize human attention that we can now they are now trying to colonize every minute of your life that is what these people are trying to do every single free moment you have is a moment you could be looking at your phone and you
0: know it's true i mean for over a decade people have called this the attention economy right more and more people realizing they're the product of these companies that they, they can have a message of some sort but at the end of the day it's to, to help investors or themselves and it reminds me of that quote of uh, what starts out as a mass movement ends up uh, a racket a cult or a corporation is incredibly rare if not impossible to have a completely pure thing at a mass scale you know when it comes to social media we we do view it as this tool but also i think it's important to understand that we're still in the middle of an experiment what happens when everyone can see and say all things at any given time which also in other news regarding the experiment the newest chapter of elon musk twitter takeover we're already seeing it play out we're seeing things like big headlines involving representative alexandra ocasio cortez right? unsurprisingly AOC has been critical of Musk and his Twitter idea, specifically taking a jab at his $8 verification subscription, saying, laughing my ass off at a billionaire earnestly trying to sell people on the idea that free speech is actually an $8 a month subscription plan. To which Elon replied, your feedback is appreciated, now pay $8. Elon then trying to call out AOC for selling $58 sweatshirts, though she shot back, saying, proud of this and always will be. My workers are union, make a living wage, have full health care, and aren't subjected to racist treatment in their workplaces. Items are made in USA. Team AOC honors and respects working people. You should... Try it sometime instead of union busting. Well, of course, you saw a lot of people sounding off. There were people against her, people in her corner. Not too long after this whole thing, AOC said that her mentions and notifications were, quote, conveniently not working, and she was informed via text that she got under a certain billionaire's skin. With this issue seemingly continuing into the morning with her tweeting, Yo, Elon Musk, while I have your attention, why should people pay $8 just for their app to get bricked when they say something you don't like? This is what my app has looked like ever since my tweet upset you yesterday. What's good doesn't seem very free speechy to me. Right, so we'll see what happens there. That's the, the bulk of the story, but where I actually want to end this one is that the more that I've thought about it, the more that I think Elon Musk's $8 subscription thing, it might actually work, but not because it, it's necessarily a, a good idea. Like there, the most of the stuff that he's talking about is just Twitter blue, right? That whole check mark thing being the reason why you won't get as much spam or anything anymore. That's literally him monetizing a platform, not being able to moderate itself. Like he's literally trying to take the worst thing about it and being like, you want it to not suck as much? Give me $8 a month, which, hey, like I've said, it is his platform to build or burn to the ground but I think there are several possible groups that actually buy this. One, you're gonna have people who already pay for YouTube Blue that just keep on doing it, which actually I am a part of this group. I subscribed to YouTube Blue when it first came out. I wanted to test, see what it's about. Honestly, I feel like the only reason I haven't canceled the subscription is I really like the undo button. While it could easily be seen as overpriced, I also feel like it saved me for myself a few times. Two, you're gonna have this batch of people that are already verified that don't want to lose it or people who have always wanted to be verified and now they're able to get it. Three, people that feel like the default experience is horrible and they are willing to pay for a better experience. And four, while I in no way do do I want to say this is universal? It does feel like there's an element to this that is like monetizing the culture war. Like it's not purely left wing and right wing, but it it feels very close to that. With some saying that Elon Musk is using like the the fuck coastal elites sort of a political playbook. But hey, time will tell. Will this be uh, you know the 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 rocket ship uh, for Twitter, or is it gonna explode on takeoff? Either way, it's gonna be interesting to watch because the the way Elon's been doing things, it feels like it, it feels like how a CEO of like a an app that's in beta. <laughs> Was about things big swings are happening fast and publicly and then quick thing i want to announce this sunday we're going to be testing a new thing here on the channel you know we've been uploading those weekly recaps with zed I-, I love that you guys have been loving it but also this sunday at 10 a.m pacific we're going to be testing turning that into like a community show so for those who have been tuning in just for that you're still getting your weekly recap and we're going to be having a whole show where we talk about the news me and you as well as taking a look at and continuing the conversation we've been having around news this week and those comments as well as the polls and it, it should be fun but yeah I-, I want to make sure i let you know because i'm really bad at that and I often just like throw videos up. Thank you, or you're welcome, I'm not sure. And then, yeah. if you're looking for great value regarding your streaming needs, then the fantastic sponsor of today's show, SmartBundle.com, may be just what you've been looking for. SmartBundle.com includes access to seven of the most mentally stimulating streaming services like CuriosityStream and One Day University, documentary and educational streaming platforms with thousands of TV shows, films, and courses across science, nature, technology, and more. Or go in deep on a topic with Nebula, the creator-owned and operated streamer with exclusive content from fantastic YouTubers like Legal Eagle and Lindsay Ellis. And you gotta check out Made and TV for the best food, wine, and travel video services, or Topic for crime thrillers from all over the world. And if you have kids, it even has Da Vinci kids to so can make them smarter while you take a nap or something. And of course, the best part is if you go to smartbundle.com slash PhillyD and you use my code, PhillyD, you get 40% off your subscription price, which makes it only $42 for an entire year for seven services. Like, I genuinely don't think there's a better streaming deal out there. So get it for yourself or do some early holiday shopping because my code also works for gift cards as well. And then Ukraine has faced its most intense bombing campaign since the the start of the war in the last month. With Russia targeting civilian infrastructure across the entire country, not just the Donbass. Leaving 80% of Kyiv's residents without running water as of Halloween after missiles hit several hydroelectric dams and plants, according to the mayor. With President Zelensky also saying last week that about 4 million people were subjected to electricity rationing. But the key thing is, you know, I realize both as someone that consumes the news like you do and someone that has my show that it's really hard to understand what's happening on the ground in Ukraine just from the media reports and statistics. Which is why for today's show, we decided to reach out to Vitaly Denega, the founder of the Ukrainian Witness Project. They're goal is to document life in Ukraine and capture the reality of war for a global audience. So a key thing I want to mention is that this interview took place last week, just before this latest round of missile strikes, so I just want you to keep that in mind. And if anything, it kind of highlights how drastically things can change. But as far as Vitaly, he arrived in Kiev on February 22nd, just two days before Russia launched a full-scale invasion of the country, which he said didn't surprise him, saying he actually got word from a Ukrainian official that war was imminent, so he came to do his part and help his mother exit the country. And understand, this was at a time where most people were running in the opposite direction, with as many as half the city's resident's fleeing within a couple of weeks. With Vitaly explaining by doing that, it resulted in just this this dense community of only those most committed to the country's defense.
2: It was pretty strange time, but the feeling was fantastic. I mean, like, you went to the street and every person you've seen, it was like, you really feel like that you love this guy or like you love this woman because, like, the people who stayed in Kiev were people who decided that this is my city, I'm not going anywhere. Like, I will... I will go and fight if, like, it's needed, if they will come to my street, whatever. And the feeling was fantastic. I mean, like, it was the best atmosphere in the city, like, in all my life. But
0: also understand, it's not like it was all fun. You had constant shelling and explosions, food and fuel shortages, doctors living in hospitals. And for Vitaly, the violence touched him personally. A
2: lot of my friends went to fight to armed forces. Some of them, unfortunately, died.
0: But at least in Kyiv, he says that the worst of the war passed earlier in the spring and things weren't as bad now. In fact, one of the most surprising things that he told me was just how little daily existence in the capital had changed.
2: You see, there are, like, many cars driving around, like, people crossing the street, like, restaurants working. I don't see, like, we cannot see from this perspective any restaurant, but believe me, most of them are working. So basically, life looks pretty the same actually if we are talking about for example food like the food is uh, i mean like you can buy like it's not a problem you can buy any food you can go to restaurant uh the same is with uh, like medical services it's not a problem if you have a okay, cave like any disease in kiev to have an operation surgery whatever but right now it looks in many ways it feels the same but still there are there are more, like, military guys on the street.
0: Though, of course, any sense of normalcy is often interrupted by the wail of air raid sirens, especially when there's heavy shelling nearby, prompting some people to hide in bomb shelters, basements, and metro stations. Though, Vitaly said even in those moments, most people just don't take it that
2: seriously. Like, in 90% of the cases like that, people just do, don't do anything. Because, like, the chance that you will be hit by some missile or drone in Kiev is not much bigger than you would die in a car accident. So it's not like I mean like even when they were like a few weeks ago like massively shelling Kiev with drones and missiles I mean like there were like maybe I don't remember the number but it was like something like 50 people killed in one day I mean like in in some suburbs of Chicago uh, like at one weekend can die like 100 people I mean like we have the same mortality in some of uh, much better developed countries than ukraine in one day which I-, I
0: just gotta say two things one as an american just hearing somebody who's actively trying not to be killed by russian artillery comparing their situation to chicago and being like it could be worse very interesting but also secondly it kind of made me realize like how much we acclimate and normalize what we're going through right? It's by no means a one-to-one comparison but it's kind of interesting to see how like americans have just accepted that thousands of covid deaths every week is normal and that is not some weird rarity you have of people that are literally under fire from russia like the, the regular missile strikes are a part of their day and they're like still i gotta work though right? even extremes become just part of life but also i, I want to be careful while mentioning that and really note i'm not trying to downplay the effect of the war or compare the two as even remotely equal with vitaly explaining that many people are still just they're mentally exhausted they're trying to feed and protect their families in an absolutely horrible situation and that's without mentioning the psychological toll that's going to be left on the population long after the fighting stops
2: so Uh, If you're talking about stress, I feel that whole the nation will have something like PTSD after the war. Because, like, it's actually pretty, you know, traumatic experience. And
0: the bombardment of Kyiv has ramped up considerably in recent weeks, since Ukraine blew up an important bridge connecting Crimea to mainland Russia.
2: When they started shelling Kyiv with these drones and, like, with, like, cruise missiles, they didn't hit a lot of infrastructure here uh so it was just a few few places in the center of the city where they really destroyed a building or hit the road or something else but like it didn't have any huge impact the only impact you feel here is that the problems with electricity they try to destroy ukrainian uh, electricity plants and uh, they really they've hit some of them so right now, we will we don't have electricity for a few hours in a day. Yeah, Vitaly
0: said the feeling among most of the people is one of excitement because unlike early on in the war when they feared that a Russian siege of the capital might cut off food supplies, now they find themselves reinvigorated by Ukraine's breakthrough counteroffensives. and he believes that even if Russia used nuclear weapons, people would keep on fighting. Which is also why he says any efforts to reopen diplomatic negotiations for some kind of settlement or a ceasefire, they appear futile at this point.
2: I think that people are very far from even thinking about any kind of compromise right now like we are like winning we're getting territories back and everyone has a feeling that it's like we're pretty close to break their you know spine we are okay we are prepared for the winter i mean like we understand that there is a good chance that they will destroy enough uh, like different plants who produce uh, warm water to you know to heat the houses so probably like we will need to i don't know you know, to sleep in a sleeping bag for this winter, but that, that's okay. I mean, like, we can survive one winter to, you know to just make them go away forever. And
0: Vitaly ended by adding that international aid has been crucial in repelling Russian forces, but more is needed. As well as recommending some specific charities if you personally want to help. Come Back Alive is one he created himself and it funds the armed forces. Or for more humanitarian ones, there's Nova Ukraine, Razum for Ukraine, and United24. But for now, that's where I'm going to end this. Obviously, we're going to keep our eyes on what's happening with Russia and Ukraine. We're going to continue talking about it at a top level, but I also think it is important to actually talk to individuals on the ground. I don't think that it's a, a one or the other situation. I think you need both to fully understand things. And then, did you know that two out of three guys will experience some form of male pattern baldness by the time that they're 35? Maybe you have that friend that family member that's dealing with hair loss, and well, thanks to the sponsor today's show, Keeps, you don't have to just sit around and wait for that to happen to you. Whether you're looking to prevent hair loss, stimulate hair growth, or just take better care of the hair that you have, Keeps has you covered. Keeps helps you stop hair loss before it's too late with a scientific and affordable approach to treatments that are up to 90% effective at reducing and stopping further hair loss. Plus, in addition to clinically proven treatments, Keeps has an award-winning all-natural thickening shampoo and conditioner system. And you get all these products delivered directly to your door, meaning no more going in person to the doctor's office for your prescription, saving you both valuable time and money. Hair loss stops with Keeps, so to get 50% off your first order, go to Keeps.com DeFranco, or just click that link in the description. That's Keeps.com DeFranco. And then, it's been over six weeks since the killing of Masa Amini and the unrest has not stopped. Because as the police there kill one protester after another, they're only adding more martyrs to the movement. With one death back in September especially outraging the people there. With that being hottest Najafi, a 23-year-old TikToker. She filmed herself on a way to a protest saying, I hope in a few years when I look back, I will be happy that everything has changed for the better. But then less than an hour later, police reportedly shot and killed her. And her family said that the authorities actually threatened them to say that her cause of death was natural. Basically the same thing that happened to Amini. So she's become a symbol in the demonstrations. With her and sister also inviting people to a 40 day memorial at Najafi's grave, marking the end of the mourning period, which is culturally significant for Iranians. And this morning we saw thousands of people showing up, marching along the highway toward the cemetery while shouting death to the dead dictator. You also had the government shutting down roads, leading there in anticipation for this event, but then the huge crowd still made it to the cemetery where they were met by police, who witnesses say brutalized them, deploying tear gas, firing live ammunition, and even slashing some with a machete. Or you can hear gunfire in the video obtained by the BBC. You also had some protesters fighting back, throwing rocks at the police and breaking car windows. Currently, we don't have any idea of the casualties yet, but nationwide, you have a human rights group saying Wednesday that 277 people, including 40 children, have died since the protest began, which is an absolutely staggering figure. Given how little time it's been, but it only seems to be adding fuel to the fire, with one chant at the cemetery being, each protester killed will be replaced by 1,000 more. And if that does continue to happen, there are concerns that the regime could get more desperate, which then could lead them to taking even more extreme actions to shore up their legitimacy. But also, here's a key thing. All of this is coming at a time where Saudi Arabia has shared what it calls credible intelligence with the United States' warning of an imminent attack against the kingdom by Iran. That was on Tuesday. Iran has denied the accusation, though the U.S. threatened to respond if necessary. And as far as why they would launch an attack, there are accusations that would be connected to the protests. Just last month, the commander of the Revolutionary Guard demanded that Saudi Arabia clamp down on its coverage of the protests through satellite media, saying this is our last warning because you are interfering in our internal affairs through these media. So is it a bluff? Is it not? Is it meant to distract from what's happening in Iran? What is going to happen with the protests in Iran? A lot of questions, and unfortunately we have to wait to see what is going to happen next. And then, the man accused of attacking Paul Pelosi and trying to kidnap Nancy Pelosi reportedly was in the U.S. illegally, with Homeland Security officials confirming, confirming that the man is a Canadian national and that ICE has lodged a detainer on it. With that being a notice that the agency intends to take custody of an individual who could be deported and request to be notified before that person is released. Though that detainer likely won't impact the case against him because deportations are civil proceedings that happen after criminal cases are resolved. Right, so as far as what else we know, federal records indicate the suspect came to the U.S. legally via Mexico in March of 2008. For Canadians who travel to America for business or pleasure are usually able to stay in the country for six months without a visa. DHS saying the man was admitted to the country as a temporary visitor traveling for pleasure. Though, uh, notably here, before the confirmation from DHS, there was also mixed reporting on how long this guy had been in the States. You had a U.S. official telling the Associated Press that he had legally entered in 2000, but stayed way after his visa expired. You had the New York Times reporting that he was registered to vote in San Francisco County from 2002 to 2009, and even voted once in 2002. Now, all of that could technically mean that he had various different visas at different times, but the fact of the matter is, the man is here illegally, and that's pretty fucking wild. The same guy who embraced far-right conspiracies about U.S. politicians and told investigators he wanted to break the House Speaker's knee Caps is a lesson to other Congress members, isn't even an American. This is the same guy that allegedly told police he was on a suicide mission and had a list of state and federal lawmakers he wanted to target. Which just as a side thing, I saw someone else commenting on it, but it's very true. It's always wild to me that there are these corners of the internet where you have people like riling each other up to commit violence, like political violence. But then when seemingly one of them does it, everyone's like, it's a false flag. He's not one of us, he's part of the deep state. Meanwhile, this new revelation regarding what happened to the Pelosi's comes amid tons of discussions over the safety and security of lawmakers at a time of increased threats, with a key thing here being a lot of focus on the Capitol Police. This after it was reported earlier this week that Capitol Police security cameras that were trained on Pelosi's house actually captured the attack, but no one was watching them. With the agency saying in a statement yesterday that its command center has access to around 1,800 cameras, but not all are watched constantly. Adding that Pelosi's home is actively monitored around the clock when she's there, but not when she's in Washington. Which is why you've seen many people arguing that there should be more security and surveillance, especially on the second person in line for the presidency. And especially given the threat of violence after January 6th and warnings from law enforcement ahead of the midterms. And that was echoed in a a scathing letter yesterday sent to capitol police by representative zoe lofgren who is one of the most senior democrats in congress and heads the administration committee with lofgren even noting that the agency has previously reported to the committee that the speaker receives the most threats of any member of congress and asking why that protection was not extended to the spouses and or other family members of the congressional leaders in the presidential line of succession and with this also posing a number of very hard-hitting questions like why did the agency turn down an fbi offer for some of its officers to be part of terrorism task forces investigating threats against congress members why they had made a formal agreement with local police in San Francisco for a car to be posted at the Pelosi's home 24 hours a day, which had been done in the months after the insurrection, and asking why the Capitol Police did not direct more threats to lawmakers for prosecution, noting that Congress members received at least 9,625 threats in 2021, but only 217 were referred. But that is where we are, and we'll have to wait to see where we're going. And then, the Parkland shooter just got 34 consecutive life sentences without parole, with the judge dishing out one for each of the 17 people that he murdered and the other 17 that he injured. But with this, many parents, siblings, and children of the victims are disappointed by the outcome because they wanted a death sentence. Some even urging Florida lawmakers to get rid of the rule requiring a unanimous jury decision for capital punishment. Something actually that Governor DeSantis has signaled he might support. And y'all I mean I don't know if you saw this the families and survivors this week they were they were just pouring out their grief and their rage in the courtroom actually getting to directly confront the gunman. And if you watch these clips you don't just get a glimpse of their pain it's so raw you can feel it.
2: I could sit here and complain as he has that I've had a hard life. I was bullied in school. I've lost 15 family members and loved ones since I turned nine. To sickness, suicide, accident, and now murder. Not once have I ever turned to hurting others as a solution for to make me feel better. Because I'm not a coward and I'm not weak. I wish no peace for you. I wish nothing but pain
1: and I hope that every breath you take, you remember that that's a breath you stole. You don't know
2: me, but you tried to kill me. You are a revolting entity. I am broken, I am broken, and I am broken. My brother Chris, on February 14th, died a hero. You, however, you will die as nothing, because you are nothing. I wish nothing for you today. After today, I don't care what happens to you. You'll be sent to jail. You'll begin your punishment. You'll be a number. And for me, you will cease
0: to exist.
1: Parkland murder. I hope the mur- your maker sends you directly to hell to burn for the rest of your eternity.
0: You also saw some of them blasting the gunman's defense for presenting him as mentally ill after his mother drank while she was pregnant, with one juror citing that as the reason they voted against capital punishment. But with all of that, there appears to be no more with this case. And th- this killer, this monster, will now live in a box for the rest of his life. And personally, I will say it does break my heart that some of these families and these victims, they're, they're not gonna get closure because they felt that capital punishment was the way for them to get it. But also what, what breaks my heart more is even if that did happen, it, it doesn't remove the pain. And personally, stories like this, they they make me wish that I was a religious man, that I believed that there was an eternity of suffering waiting this monster. But more than that, I, I wish for, for peace and a good life for those survivors and those families. Even with justice or a sense of it, I... I can realize that there's no replacing the, the joy and the life and the uh, experiences you will no longer be able to have because of this fucking monster. But I do hope you find peace because he is not deserving of taking that away from you as well. And that is where that story and today's show ends. Thank you for watching, especially if you're part of the conversation down below, which, reminder, the next time I'm gonna see you is on Sunday with that brand new community show. You better go watch it. I've been filming while I'm sick this week, but as always, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces and I'll see you Sunday.